But to be honest, in 10, 15 years, I don't think anyone's going to be selling any practice anymore. I think everything's going to be owned by some kind of hospital or system. And I think that's more of a doomsday, but just looking at where things are going, I don't see why that wouldn't be the case. Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia and Pain Management Success Podcast. With APM Success, we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. We work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to episode 122 of APM Success. I'm very pleased to be joined today by Dr. Anthony Jafrida. Dr. Jafrida is the Director of Interventional Spine and Pain Management at the Cantor Spine Center at the Paleorthopedic and Spine Institute in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He's here to just share a bunch of thoughts about sort of his career trajectory, some of the interesting things that he's working on, the composition of his practice in Florida, and just share some general wisdom with our listenership. So Dr. Jafrida, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Justin. This is awesome. I'm really excited to be a part of this podcast. Heard a lot about it, and uh, I think this will be a lot of fun. So just for, for some background on uh, where I came from and where I'm at, you know, I'm from upstate New York, did my medical school up in Syracuse, did my physical medicine and rehab, PM&R residency in Albany, New York, did a fellowship in interventional sports and spine, then down in Birmingham with Dr. Uh, Bradley Goodman. And then I was hired at the Cantor Spine Center down here by Dr. Jeff Kanner, a little over three years ago now, they didn't have a pain management interventionalist on their team. It was two spine surgeons, Jeff Kanner and John Ashgar, and they wanted to bring someone on board. So coming right out of fellowship, I was lucky enough to join them. And then uh, quickly after I joined them, which is interesting, I think everyone hears about something that could happen and and you never know what's going to happen once you join a group like that is we merged with a bigger group as well up in West Palm. And that's the paleorthopedic group. And it's been amazing ever since we merged with them. There's where I think we're at a total of 14 docs now between the two places. I'm the only interventional spine and sports guy. So we're pretty busy, you know, helping out all the surgeons, but it's been great. And I've been lucky enough. They've given me kind of the reins of the interventional field and we're starting to grow on our side. I've got a fellow that started in July. He's doing great from Kansas. So we're starting to grow as well. So I think I've had, I've gone through a lot in the last three years and four years when you count fellowships. So I think I have a lot to ortho- offer about how going from that fellowship into private practice model and then how to build on that. So it uh, should be a fun conversation. So for starters, I got to ask, I was talking to uh, my friend, Dr. Nikhil Verma, who listeners may recognize his name was a recent guest talking about orthobiologics. He was saying, so I have this friend. He went through med school. He never read any textbooks. He just read every, read and annotated every journal that he could get his hands on and like ask questions. And work. so can you just describe it? Like, is that, first of all, is that true? And second of all, tell me about your unorthodox study habits. Yeah. So I would try to read textbooks and I just realized they're, they're really dry, uh, really dry. And I'm, I'm a guy that I want data. I want data. I want data. So I learned that I, I took the people that I was working under, even in residency, and they were my textbooks. I would get the questions I'd want from the textbooks and ask them, hey, how does this really happen? What's really going on here? And then I would read the journals because the journals to me was you know, new data, new procedures coming out, new ways of treating old things. So that's, that's the way I studied. And then the other way I studied that worked really well because you, know, you have to take the test. You do have to pass the test. So there is some stuff in the textbooks that you'll never see in real life, but you still need to know what's going on. So I would do the review books, which are a lot, a lot less dry, 
and uh, a lot more interesting to me. And then I would do tons and tons of questions. So that's what I tell every resident and every fellow out there. Do as many questions as you can, because the questions are fun. It's real life vignettes. So like, hey, there's this 56-year-old guy with back pain that's worth, worse with rotation. It doesn't go down his leg. It, you know, it, it's worse when he's active. And that, that's fun. It's engaging. Uh, yeah, I was not a big reading the textbook guy. But sometimes you have to do it. So I don't want to tell everyone not to. And everyone has different study styles. So <laughs> I, I don't want to be that guy saying, don't read textbooks. Use the people around you just as much. They've been in it for 20, 30 years. They know they know what's going on. They know the answers. They know the stuff like the back of their hand. So that, that's how I studied and it worked out. With the your involvement and you know taking this job at the Canter Spine Center, I'm curious, you know, if somebody's consider, you know, maybe we'll talk to the fellows out there for a minute who are thinking about job. This is going to come out probably in October. So it'll be that time when people, they get their fellowship, they're getting into the clinical work, and they're also at the same time starting to think about jobs. So for anybody out there who's thinking about this, can you maybe talk about how you went through this process and specifically as it relates to looking at single specialty opportunities versus being, you know, the pain guy in a spine or an ortho group? Like how do you, how did you weigh that dynamic and knowing what you know now, kind of what are some other reflections you have about that? Yeah. So it's, it's a tough decision to make. So I was 50, 50 on opening up my own practice or joining another practice. I knew I was going to do private practice. I did not want to do academic medicine just from the fellowship I came from. I liked the high volume. I liked the go, go, go mentality. And I like the, you know, the benefits of if you work more, you earn more. Right. So a lot of academic places aren't like that. You kind of get stuck in the mundane day to day, nine to five job. And I'm not like that, you know, it's just not who I am. Some people like that a lot. So to each their own on that. But if you're looking for the private practice route, there's really two options. There's join a private practice or start your own. And this day and age, and this might touch on some of the other things I'm trying to do with other companies I've started, it's tough to go on your own. And, and speaking of Nikhil, who's going to get another shower here, he is going on his own. And it's great, but it's tough because insurance companies really are going to kind of give it to you. And it's really tough to get on contract with insurance companies and get a good rate with them to the point where you're getting rates where you can't keep the lights on. It's unfortunate what's going on in medicine, that it's tough to hang your shingle up. I mean, that's what everyone used to do in the 80s, 90s. You start your own practice, didn't matter what it was. So it's tough. It's rewarding if you can pull it off. I, So I was, yeah, 50, 60% of the way of starting my own practice actually in Tampa, Tampa, Florida, and got a call from the Canter Spine Center saying, hey, we need a guy. And I remember telling my wife, I'm like, hey, do you want to go to Fort Lauderdale and just check it out? You know, we we didn't think we wanted the job at first, but I'm like, let's go check it out. Let's try one more. We already had done interviews in Naples. You know, we know we wanted to go south. There were a few interviews I did in Alabama. I did one in Oklahoma. I looked at one in New York up, up north. So we came down here. And the thing I liked was they kind of said, if you do a good job, it's, your, it's yours to run. So I had the benefit of running my own private practice with a little less risk because it was already all set up. You know, the space was here, the patients were here, internal referrals were here. So the more and more we talked to Dr. Jeff Kanner, I mean, the more and more we liked it. And it's been a home run ever since. I have great partners. We work very, very well together. I've been lucky enough to find surgeons that understand the way we do things in the pain world. And, and you know, I got to give kudos to the surgeons because when you're out there and you're looking, the surgeons aren't looking for guys that are going to prescribe opioids, aren't looking for guys that are going to try to do, you know, a thousand procedures on a patient. You got to, you got to do it the right way or else surgeons are really are going to come down on our field. You have to do the right thing for the right patient all the time. That That's what we always do always. So that's why it's worked out so well for me, but you, you got to get lucky. I've had plenty of friends I went to fellowship with that are on their third job 
and I'm only three and a half years out. So do a lot of due diligence, reach out to people like myself. I'm on Instagram, Dr. G Sports and Spine. I answer all of the DMs that come my way. And then you got to get lucky in the end. And don't be discouraged if you take a job and it doesn't work in the first six months and you have to move on because that's the way of the world right now. I think I think the percentages are, and you might know them better than me, are getting even lower on people that end up staying in their first job for more than three years, which is crazy, but it's tough. I'm curious, you know, you talked about, you were considering launching a practice in Tampa. Everything I know about Florida, I, first of all, I'm, I'm curious to hear your feedback as a pain physician practicing in Florida, but it's just, it's super competitive. There's a pain doctor on every corner. Everybody wants to retire there. So there's a lot of older people with, you know, joint, back, neck pain, et cetera. And obviously the weather and the tax, like there's a lot of good reasons to be in Florida. I haven't found them particularly alluring for myself, but what is it like, you know, in, a, in, in an environment where there's so many pain doctors and what, what made you even consider wanting to start something from scratch in that type of environment? So, so what made me consider that were two things you just said, the weather and the taxes. I'm from upstate New York. I, me and my wife are both from up that way. We were sick of the cold weather, sick of it. We're done. You know, we said we're going as far south as we can while staying in the U.S. And then our only two, my wife at the time, she still is a CPA, but she was a CPA for KPMG. So the only two city options were Tampa or Fort Lauderdale because that's where KPMG was. So that was the only two options for us in Florida was Tampa, Fort Lauderdale region. And we had some family in Tampa. So, you know, we looked at some spaces out there. Honestly, what derailed it was I couldn't get on a lot of the insurances before I even started. You know, I called, tried to get on the insurances and it really wasn't going in the right direction with that. The question about how saturated it is down here, it, it's not. I mean, there are a lot of pain docs, but there's a lot more people. And I think, I don't know what the numbers are. I've heard some crazy numbers about the people that are moving to Tampa, to Florida every day. And it's real. I mean, the condos they're building around here, the, the apartment complexes they're building, we turn away 50% of our patients just because we're at volume. But I'm also unique in the fact that I work directly with these surgeons. So I am, I don't know, we like to say we don't have we're not the same as another just pain clinic, right? Because we're all full, you know, full spine, full ortho clinic. And I'm, and we're just one, I'm one part of that. So there is a lot of competition, but honestly, I'm, I'm friends with the guys that are our competition right around the block. It, 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 there's plenty of people down here that need our services. So if somebody is considering doing this, it's not as much the other doctors you need to worry about. It's like, can I get approved with enough insurance companies to be in network for patients? Exactly. So. I mean, I was just talking to my fellow before we started on here. He's, we're going to hire him. And the way it works here is he kind of gets to build his own clinic under us, right? So you get that autonomy of building your own clinic. And he was kind of telling me, I want to do it here. I want to do it here. I was like, you know, we have the other office in West Palm Beach. You can go there and have those internal referrals, or you can try to go to another part of South Florida here and try to start your own thing, get your own referrals, you know, and do that. And it is tougher to go out on your own and start your own thing and get your own referrals. We're lucky to have internal referrals. But the hardest part, if he didn't have being under us to start his own thing, would be the insurance contracts. They just don't want to put anyone on. They'll actually say they're full and say, well, you can't even get on. So I think Blue Cross Blue Shield is full for pain management. They won't let anyone on at all. And I think that's for the next year at least. So, I mean, if you get blocked, you get blocked. And it's really hard to have a cash service when this is where the competition comes into play. You can't you can't charge someone cash for an epidural when someone down the street can do the same thing, you know, under that person's insurance. No one's going to come to you. It's not like you're doing something so specialized where you can start a cash based based thing. And, you know, if you start doing 
PRP or, or some other biologics, then you can start doing a little more cash-based, but it's tough. It's really tough. It, it's, it's nice to have some kind of umbrella over the top of you to get, get your feet off the ground. Have you looked at or did you consider it all like an MSO approach where you're going to, you know, get, get some purchasing power through some association or affiliation to be able to perhaps get you access to some of those payers that you couldn't otherwise? I, I didn't even go down that far. I didn't need to. Once I saw the the deal that we had with Canner here, you know, I didn't I didn't really need to go that far. I mean, I know that is an option, but I didn't really look into it much, no. One of the things that I like to do in looking at different practices, different models is help people understand, help people follow the money through the model and understand who has the upside incentive, who has the downside, either protection or absorbs that risk. And how do different practice profiles offer different opportunities depending on what you look for. And at the end of the day, what you want as a physician who's looking for a job is just a, a practice that fits the right profile. You get the upside you want, the downside protection you need, and whatever that sort of the, the version of that is in a particular practice. So I'm curious to the extent that you're able to talk about this, how is your your arrangement structured? Or if you're looking at bringing on somebody else, how how much protection do they get on the downside? How much how are they participating in the upside? How are they making decisions? How is overhead allocated if that's kind of what you're doing? How how does that work? I, I think I think I can go to it a little bit. I mean, there's some stuff I can't talk about in, in, in how our contracts are written, but for the most part, for instance, me hiring our fellow as a as a, another attending. His protection is I, if I hire him under me, I have to absorb all his costs. Okay. So he needs a new C arm. The nice thing is we can, that C arm price. So we'll go over 10 years, right? He needs a new C arm. He needs, you know, new staff. All that stuff goes under my PL statement. Now that's, that's the protection for him is that he doesn't have to worry about all that. Now the, downside for him, if there is much of anything, is he can't start making any of his bonus until he's basically paid all that back, quote unquote, where he's covered all his costs, which makes sense. So it's like you get a loan without having to take a loan, right? So where's the risk? The risk is actually more for me than for him. Because if he stinks and after six months says, I I can't do it, I can't cut it, I'm, I'm only seeing five patients a day, you know, he's not covering his costs and he leaves, I'm sitting there holding the bag. So there's not much risk for him. Where's the upside for, for us is that as he starts to grow, you know, he starts covering more of our overhead, that kind of stuff. It all gets split. So our overhead costs decrease immensely. And then our patient population goes up significantly as well. But it, it is nice, you know, there's not much risk for the people we bring on, except for that you know, they, they got to make it happen on their own. So the profile of the opportunity you're describing is, I, I will say, one of my favorite configurations for physicians who are looking for employment, because you don't have to deal with the overhead. You have decision-making power. You know, if, if this physician came to you and said, here's what I need, you can, they could probably hand you a list. And if it's reasonable, you're going to give them what they want and you're going to pay for it. And they're going to sort of earn it back over time with a base salary that is giving them that stability. I think that this model, and, and I see it most frequently when it's like a pain doctor in an ortho group or something like that, that I don't know if there's any reason for that. That's just where it seems to have come up the most. It's what I would call like an internal P&L that you're running, meaning you're running your own business in a practice. And I think that's really, there's a lot of upside to that. 
Exactly. I have my own PL and he goes under my PL, right? So where's the benefit for me is when he starts to go positive, then that starts cutting away at my PL, my my side, right? But the way the contracts are written is once he goes positive, he starts making a percentage off his positive as well. So we are very much like a unicorn. I, a lot of the docs I talk to say I got, we did get, I, I did get really, really lucky with what, where I'm at. You know, a lot of places, one thing I'll tell other people when they're looking for a job, and I, I review a lot of contracts for my friends, for everything outside of this space too, is you do not want someone to hold their thumb over you forever. It's okay for them to have their thumb over you for the first two or three years because they are taking a lot of risk. But at some point, they got to let you do what you do or there's no benefit for you being there and you're going to get stuck. You might as well be working for a hospital because that's what hospitals do, right? They just push you under, push you down, do this, do that, do this, do that. You can't do this, you can't do that. So I'm of the mindset that I'm going to bring people on the way I was brought on. Like, hey, first six months to a year, you got to start doing it. But once you start doing it, you don't have to ask anymore if you want to hire somebody. I know you're going to cover. I know you're going to be cost conscious. I know you're going to cover your costs. And that's that's the way I work is if you prove to me you can do it, I'm going to give you enough rope to to do whatever you want. Now, you got to you got to keep doing a good job. And, you know, that's on me. If, if you don't, that means I hired the wrong person. Right. And uh, I learned that from from Canner and from from Paley, because that's the people they hire. And they kind of looked at me and said the same thing. Like, hey, you got a year to prove yourself. And, and if you do, you get the big thumbs up. If you don't, you get the big thumbs down. So I think that's the way to go. I think, I think the way of going of hiring these people and keeping them of these five-year contracts where it's like, hey, you're on a base salary and you might get 5% of your bonus if you start doing well. And people sign those contracts and think that's a good contract. I don't think they realize how much money other people are making off of them. And it, it's, it's a shame. And I'm in a position where I can offer those contracts right now. And I'm not going to do it because it's the wrong thing to do. It's, you're just not going to get good workers. They're going to hate you after three or four years because they know the output. They're going to learn. Even if you don't teach them, they're going to learn the output that they're giving. And they're going to realize where all that money's going or all that, all that value is going. And they're going to hate you. And you're not going to have a good work relationship. You're not going to have a good system. They're going to be looking to get out. You're going to have schisms throughout the whole team. So it's funny that you bring that up because the other company I'm, I'm starting called Doc Nation is for that. It's for to help physicians know what a bad contract is. Cause we have no clue. We go through med school, we go through residency. No one ever teach you about contracts. And then we get handed this contract for a pretty substantial amount of money, right? In the grand scheme of things, like your first contract is still a lot of money for the majority of the U S population. What you're making is the top 1%. And we just sign them. We're just like, yeah, that looks good. We'll sign it. Maybe we have our lawyer friend look over it, right? That's like the extent of what we do. And then they say, oh, you might want to do this. You might want to do that. What we're doing with Doc Nation is, let's say you're the doctor and I'm the hospital. I hand you a contract and Doc Nation comes in and does the negotiation. You're on the you're on the sideline, like a, basically like an athlete and an owner, an athlete and a, and a team. So I think that's something that we really need to talk about more. And some people look at me like I'm crazy when I talk about it. But I think doctors need representation when it comes to these contracts. Because I see it on both ends now. And you can't, you can't just hold your thumb over someone. It's not the right thing to do. Totally agree. I want to talk about Doc Nation in one second, but before we move on, I just want to reiterate this point, which is the model that you're describing, which is not uncommon. It's, it's one of the less common, I would say, but still it, it, they're out there. And I've seen a number of contracts like this where you're running an internal P&L. It's a really nice second notch. If we say like the most extreme option is starting from scratch, doing my own thing and building everything. 
that is that's a big heavy lift and it's, it's very rewarding but it's not a good fit for everyone if someone is saying i want the upside i want the decision making power but i i'm not quite ready to like deal with hr and staffing and like build my emr and all that then this option is like a really good second place i think it's better i think it's better than the first option now because even going forward i think that first option is it it the amount of people doing the first option is is getting less and less. And I think the amount of people that can keep the first option is going to get even less as health insurance gets more and more power. They're going to kick people off of contracts. So we're not only am I under Canner and Paley, we have tenant on top of us and, and tenant doesn't push their thumb down on us. We can kind of do our own thing as long as we stay within their guardrails, but I'll tell you blue cross blue shield is not going to be dropping tenant anytime soon. You know, the protection we have is, is, I don't ever go to sleep at night thinking that we're not going to have our contracts or anything like that, or we're not going to be able to staff, or we're not going to make payroll. I mean, I know people that have their own places that worry about making payroll every two weeks. We don't have to worry about any of that stuff at all. So you could, what you could spend all your bandwidth on building these, building a practice, which is what you really want to do. Now, where's the only upside to the first option is you own the practice and you can sell the practice eventually. But to be honest, in 10, 15 years, I don't think anyone's going to be selling any practice anymore. I think everything's going to be owned by some kind of hospital or system. And I think that's more of a doomsday, but just looking at where things are going, I don't see why that wouldn't be the case. It's interesting to trace the macro industry trends and they blow back and forth, but there's certainly a lot of momentum in that direction right now. No question. I'm not saying I agree with it. I'm just saying I don't think anything can stop that snowball from rolling downhill. Let's talk about Doc Nation. You and I have perceived the same challenges among physicians, which is that they make life-altering, massive financial decisions without sufficient information to do so in their own best interest. So I've perceived this sort of from my own corner of the world in the financial planning and investment side. And you have come up through, you know, medical education, residency fellowship, and probably experienced the same lack of preparation that eventually made you perceive this need and ultimately build some infrastructure to address it. So talk about what that is and what Doc Nation does. So I had the idea about three or four years ago when I started reviewing some of my friends' contracts and saying, you know, this just doesn't make sense. You got to get that written out. You got to get this written out. You got to try to negotiate for more money per RVU or more, you know, just straight up salary or, or less than the time to become partner. They would take that all. And then they just go back and be like, oh, I just signed the contract. I'm like, what? why did you ask me? I'm like, oh, well, I was worried that they weren't going to like, or go with someone else. And, and I think doctors are ingrained to think that they're not the most important part of this machine. And the, I, I ache in a lot of things back to sports. I played college baseball. I ache in a lot of things back to sports. And that's where Doc Nation came from is these athletes are the most important thing. Jerry Jones can have an awesome stadium. He can have awesome advertising. He can have the best turf. He can have the best fans. There's no football on Sunday without the players, right? So in the grand scheme of things, you can have an awesome hospital. You can have awesome insurance companies. You can have awesome patients. There's no medicine without the doctors. And that's just what what it's going to be forever. And somehow. Well, and someone in the 80s said to the players, hey, guys, you're the most important people. If you look at how much players made in the 80s and 90s compared to the owners, it was not a 50-50 split. But then these agents came along and everyone hated the agents because all the owners who were smarter than the players said, crap, now we got to listen to somebody. 
that's on the player side. So in the 80s and early 90s, these agents all came up and said, our guys are the reason you're all here and you need to start paying them. Now all the major sporting, the four major sports are, are 50-50 splits. And if you look with, with revenue and if you look at medicine, going off of data from 2019, it, it's doctors get about eight to 9% of the pie. That's it. And, and we all know, we've all seen the headlines on how much United Healthcare made Q3 during during COVID. We all know how much, you know, HHS, all these big hospitals are making. And, and without any doctor, there's no, there's no game. So our, our, and we know doctors, the reason you go into medicine isn't to negotiate and become this, you know, business person. It's to take care of people. And that's what we should still be doing. I'm not trying to lose that in this whole conversation. So I'm just taking all the negotiation, all the business off the doctor. And you get your contract, you bring it to Doc Nation. We negotiate for you. We take care of all your branding, just like Tom Brady works for, or, or LeBron works for Nike, right? His agent's the one that got him that deal. It wasn't like LeBron James talked to Nike and said, I want a deal. So we'll get you on podiums if you want to do podiums. We, we do any kind of branding you want to do on social media. And we work with people like yourself and do your financial advice too and help you out with that. So it's kind of like a catch-all where we call it the four pillars. You know, you have your agent that does negotiation. You have your lawyer who are two different people. You want those to be two different people because you don't want your agent to be your lawyer ever. So your agent, lawyer, financial advisor, and brand management. And that's what Doc Nation does. It does it all for you. And all you have to worry about as a doctor is being a doctor and taking care of people. And you don't have to worry about, hey, am I getting screwed up? You know, you start looking at the billing when you're working in the hospital. You're like, I know how much they're making off of me. Why am I only making this much? And it, it makes you, it takes away from doing what you love to do. So what Doc Nation does is give all that, give the power back to the doctors. And, and, and you know, it, it's really a simple concept. We're just taking what sports did 30 years ago and bringing it to medicine. What types of physicians either in terms of personality and disposition or specialty or geography are the best fit for the services that Doc Nation offers? I'd say when we first start off with Doc Nation, when, we, when we're first signing on physicians, and that's what we're going to do is have signing days and actually sign on physicians, you know, out of fellowship or even people that are already in there. The, the first ones are going to be the people that are looking, that are the business minded people. You know, the ones that want that push are looking to join a private practice kind of deal. But then eventually, you know, I, I've always joked, you know, the orthopedic surgeons will probably be the first ones that sign on with us because those guys, they know their P&Ls, they know what's going on. And probably the surgical subspecialties will all follow from there. And, and the last people will probably be family medicine, internal medicine. But but those guys don't even realize how much the hospital is, is doing well off of them. You know, I don't like to say that we're taking advantage of, but they they just aren't being, they aren't being representative of the way they should against the hospital because the hospital has a lot of big guns and you walk in as outright out of fellowship as a new internal medicine doc and you know the hospital just says here's your contract deal with it here's your vacation deal with it here's your non-compete deal with it so I, I do think those people need us but I think that probably would be the last on board and, and what we want to do is just let the doctor be the doctor that's it you just worry about being the doctor you worry about taking care of your patients you do what you want to do what you love what you grew up what you spent 12 years of life learning to do, college, med school, residency, and we'll take care of the, the, the other stuff. I always, I always joke and say, you know, at hospitals, none of the guys, or not many, not many, some are, most of the people in the C-suite aren't doctors, right? And you're negotiating against people in the C-suite that aren't doctors. Why, why would you have, you need to have non-doctors negotiating against non-doctors because in my mind, it's two different types of thinking. 
Tell me about who else is a part of Doc Nation and sort of how did this idea crystallize for you? Yeah, I don't know if I can really tell everyone that's involved because we have some actual agents that I don't know if they want me to say they're involved yet until we totally launch. And we don't want Doc Nation to be any single person or anything like that. We just want it to be Doc Nation. The idea started just from me. The, the Literally the very first time I had the idea was I was looking at people's contracts and I'm like, oh, I'm kind of busy. And my one buddy's like, I'll give you 200 bucks. And I was like, wait, I guess you, there should be someone that doing this, right? You know, lawyers look at contracts for you, but they don't negotiate for you. And that's, that's even I said to him, he goes, well, I don't think I can negotiate for that. I'm like, we'll get the guy on the phone and we'll negotiate together. Like, I'll, I'll be the bad guy because I don't know your hospital. I'm never going to work there. I'll be the bad guy. I'll say, hey, this is ridiculous. He should be, you know, considered for partner track in five years, not seven years or something like that. Or this wording looks terrible. So that's where the idea came from. And then I, I met the, the, the way it really came off the ground is I met a sports agent at a wedding. That's how it happens. And I had actually told him over a glass of wine, I said, tell me why this is a stupid idea. You know, I've been mowing this idea for two years. I'm like, tell me why this is a stupid idea. And he goes, I, I don't think it's a stupid idea. And he, he's an agent for a lot of football players. And he goes, I actually think it's a better idea than what we do for football players because doctors are easier to manage. We don't, you know, doctors are a little, little, I'd say a little less wild than some football. You don't have to bail them out of jail and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to say that, but yeah, yeah. You know, you don't have to, you don't have to manage their brand as much and and worry about that there's a lot of excited people on it you know the one thing is you always wonder what making a new company can you get it off the ground and can you make it fly and and for me you know i had the meta combine which is getting off the ground and going really well for education this we're taking a lot of responsibility for because we're in charge of people's lives now you know like we got to do this right and and really do it right and, and not just half-ass it for lack of a better word it needs to be ironclad we are helping these people do something, you know, it has to be a win, win, win for the doc, for us, for everyone. So we're, we're going in the right direction. So it, it should be fun once we get it rolling. So is this officially launched or what kind of timeline are you anticipating? Yeah, it's, it's, it's officially launched and we have some people signed up that we are negotiating for, but we're not fully open. The best way to, to get our ear though, is go to docnation.com. And I think there's a, there's a click there that says join the nation and you can put your info in and, and we can reach out to you and start talking about the way, obviously there is a fee, you know, to have all this happen. It's just a percentage of your negotiated fees. So that's the other thing we say is you're, we're not making any money unless you're making more money. So, you know, we don't want to be a bear, another suck off of doctors, right? That's not what we're looking to do. We're not trying to you know, get more, you know, everyone knows doctors like, oh, you got to get disability insurance, you got life insurance, you got to everyone's trying to suck money off of doctors and they think they're, it's easy to do. And to be honest, it is easy to do. A lot of doctors don't understand that. We're not trying to do that at all. We're only going to make money if, if the doctor makes more money. So the best way to get involved would be to go to docnation.com and, and click on the join the nation. And it's just a profile you fill out. It's nothing too advanced. Really, we're looking to totally launch this next coming hiring season, which will be July. But we, we're going to start signing people publicly probably in February. So for anybody listening, apmsuccess.com slash 122. This is episode 122. We're going to have links to all the stuff we're talking about today, including a link out to Doc Nation. If you're interested in checking it out, getting on their list, starting the communication for potentially joining the nation here in the coming days. You mentioned branding as one of the pillars. I've long been a believer that 
helping physicians establish their own brand attached to their own selves is one, it's an important thing. And it's one of the ways to sort of push back against the anonymizing of physicians, which I think is like a weapon in the hands of, uh, you know, we mentioned those macro forces of healthcare. I don't like to name any names because I don't want to get sued, but we all know who they are. And this is a way to say, I am not, you know, a provider. I'm Dr. Smith and I'm down the corner and here's my expertise and here's my training and here's why I care. And here's my patient treatment philosophy. Like all these things you can you can unpack in long, with something as simple as like, you know, having yourname.com. So I'm curious, as you think about branding and as a physician advocate specifically, what types of things are you envisioning for your, you know, Doc Nation partner physicians? Yeah, so a lot of this, I can say one of my partners in Doc Nation is Christy OMB. She's the founder of Moxie Company. She does my marketing and branding personally for me. And that's where I've learned a lot of this from. So I'm probably just be echoing a lot of what she would say. I think you nailed the, you nailed it right in the head saying you have to own every, your own domain, your own Instagram, your own LinkedIn, you have to own it. A lot of people don't understand, and this is actually in a lot of people's contracts. If you have a website and you're under a group, there's a good chance they own the website. Another thing that people don't realize that they don't own is their phone number. You have to own your phone number because if all of a sudden you leave that practice, but you want to keep getting, and you've built this gigantic referral base, maybe a great social media that has your phone number on it. And that company says, oh, no, no, we get to keep your phone number. And then, then you're dead in the water. How's anyone going to call you? You know, you got to start all over from scratch. So your, so your phone number, your domain. So I have a domain that I just pay for every year that has nothing on it. And it's, I think it's Anthony Jafrida MD, and then .com. And then I think there's, I also have a Dr. G Sports and Spine, which is my Instagram name com And they're not that expensive. I mean, you just go to GoDaddy right now, whoever's out there, go to GoDaddy right now and put your first last name md.com and buy it for, I think it's like $7. You know, that's something you have to have. And that's something that with Doc Nation will not only buy it for you and you'll own it. We'll make sure you own it. We're not, we don't, we're not in the business of Doc Nation of becoming, we don't want to own your stuff. We want you to own it and uh, we'll manage it for you. You know, we'll help you build your website, all that stuff. And even if you work for a big company, like I could have my own website right now, Tenet, Cantor, Paley, they would not care at all if I had my own website right now. And that, that's another nice thing about where I, I am. You know, I just don't need it right now because we do so well off of the Paley and Cantor website. I actually don't want to be pulling traffic away from those websites. But I have my own Instagram and we all, you know, I have my own Instagram. Dr. Cantor has his own, his own Instagram. Dr. Astro has his own Instagram. Then we have a Cantor Spine Instagram. Then we have a Paley orthopedic Instagram. And then all the guys you know, up in West Palm and or Paley have their own Instagram and, and same with LinkedIn. And I think that's very, very important to do. You have to own your own brand because honestly coming up in the future, that that's you, you know, a lot of people, I I've talked to so many people through Instagram that I, I feel like I know, and I've never met them in real life. So many people. That's why I, I do zoom calls all the time. Cause half of my partners on all these endeavors I have are all over the U S cause I met them through Instagram or LinkedIn. So I think that's huge. You have to own your stuff and you have to know how to own it and know how to copyright it and that kind of stuff. Makes a ton of sense. And I just want to echo and reiterate what you just said, which is if anybody's looking for one actionable tidbit from this podcast, go to domains.google.com, type in your name, and if it's available, buy it and you know sign up for the $12 a year. I think it's what it is on Google. I'm like, oh, dang, I've been paying 12 for my domains. I should have been paying seven at GoDaddy. But I'm like a little bit of a 
I'm a habitual domain collector. I, I similarly, I grabbed justinharvey.com. Right now, it just forwards to my planning website. But the personal brand for financial advisors is important in different ways. But for physicians, it's just, I feel so strongly. And th this is something that, you know, it's so far off the sort of beaten path in terms of what do you get in med school and residency, like buying your domain doesn't really register, but something like that to establish credibility and build your own identity in your community. And even it'll, you know, I've seen these be useful to get something like consulting gigs with companies and just having that type of credibility attached to your identity is really useful. So it pays dividends in ways you can't even expect. So just do it, people. Yeah, this, you'll make up for the $12 a year, for sure. That's right, that's right. Anything else? around Doc Nation that's warrants conversation that you haven't already touched on? I mean, I think, you know, the biggest thing is that brand awareness and and getting those consulting agreements too that you talked about. Like we, we're going to do whatever you want. And and that's all about relationships, you know, and, and that's one, the other, the other really big thing with Doc Nation, the, the pipe dream, right? Like everyone's like, oh, what's your one month plan, your one year plan, your five-year plan. The five-year plan is with Doc Nation is have enough people on the same side to finally be able to come together. And I, I got to say this right without, you know, making too many people mad, but finally being able to come together and give the doctors the voice back. You know, our, our mantra in our meetings is, is let the doctors take medicine back. Okay. You know, Washington DC should not be in charge of medicine. The health insurance company should not be in charge of medicine. You know, unfortunately the AMA in my mind has lost their way. That's what the AMA was supposed to be. And I don't think they really have the doctor's interest at heart a lot, a lot of times. And I, I think a lot of doctors would agree with me with that. I don't think I'm saying anything that's groundbreaking there, but the, the long-term goal with Doc Nation is get enough people where we can go to Blue Cross Blue Shield and say, give all my doctors this rate. We've vetted them all. We know they do a good job. They have a good brand awareness. They're all good doctors. We're going to use other companies like uh, we can do a whole other po podcast on another company that we're using called Algos Pathways. We're going to actually track our outcomes and tell you, these doctors do a better job. Like I've never understood that, you know, not all doctors are the same. Some doctors do a better job. There should be some kind of, you know, not reward, but at least some kind the insurance company should say, these doctors do a better job. You know, more patients get better from them. They don't cost, they don't cost us as much money because our patients are getting better when they do a procedure to this. They don't need seven surgeries. They just need one. So maybe we should give them a better rate. And, and, one doctor alone can't go to United Healthcare and be like, I do a better job. Here's my data. I want a better rate because I'm saving you money. They'll say, all right, bump it on down the road. But if all of Doc Nation and we have a whole community of doctors that are doing a better job doing the right thing, we can go and say, hey, look, we have these 5,000 doctors that are doing a really, really good job. Can we, can we get a rate ourselves for all of our doctors? Or can we get a lower mal malpractice rate for all of our doctors? Or can we get a better life insurance rate? for all of our doctors, you know? So it's kind of like, I, I tell people it's what the AMA, I think first started as. That's another whole different wing that we wanna be able, is is maybe a little lobbying ability if we can get all the doctors on the same side, it'd be nice. That's, that's you know, you gotta get critical mass to do that though. What surprised you the most about this journey and assembling professionals to help with this and talking to doctors? I, I mean, even before this, I think what surprised me the most is how, how much doctors, like there's some doctors that I talk to that think what, what doc nation would be greedy, you know? And 
you know, I just think we're taught in med school in residency to not ask for more. You know, when you're in residency, you don't say, hey, like you, you keep your head down, you do your work and you get it done. And the same in med school. And it, it still amazes me that people that are out that just went through COVID and got a 30% pay cut because of COVID, they're saying, right? Oh, we got to cut money. We got to cut doctors pay by 30% because of COVID. Some of these docs still, I think, I think it's almost like a Stockholm syndrome. Still are like, well, oh, you know, that's why I went into medicine. It's okay. Like I haven't paid off my student loan yet. And I still live in an apartment and I'm five years out, but it's okay. And you're, you just sit there. You're like, it's not, it's not okay. Like someone's making money hand over fist during COVID. And, and you're getting a pay cut, living in an apartment, not paying off your student loans. You know, at some point you have to stand up and say, that's not right. And, and what still surprised me the most are a lot of docs saying, no, nah, I don't think I would join. I don't, I don't really want to be a part of something that's asking for more. I'm like, all right. I mean, that's not the people, but, but it, it just blows my mind that they're so ingrained in thinking that, that, and, and I think big corporations have done a good job of making us think that way. <laughs> Totally agree. I was reflecting the other day, I have a going on two-year-old and I was, you know, feeding him dinner. He's got some stuff on his plate or whatever. And he says, he's done. And I'm like, Calvin, you haven't finished your dinner. And he's like, no, I'm done. And I said, Calvin, like two more blueberries, then you can be done. And he's, we're going back and forth. And then finally he's like, he'll eat the one blueberry and we meet in the middle. And I'm like, even a two-year-old, it's, it's, at some point it's like genetically hardwired, this self-advocacy and negotiation. And I 100% agree that it, somewhere along the line, it gets beaten out of you or you're not being a team player. You're not, be, your money is dirty. And if you're trying to get more of it, then you're the bad guy. And I just couldn't disagree more strongly. I, that's one of the reasons I'm really excited about what you guys are building. So really looking forward to continuing to, you know, cheer on the progress of Doc Nation. Yeah. I, I mean, if it gets critical mass, it'll be a lot of fun to see it. It'll be like, and you know, I, I, you don't use the U word union. It'd be more like to me, like the NFL players association, you know, like, they'll have to go through us when they want to make big changes. You want to give a whole set of hospitals 30% pay cuts? No, no. We're going to talk about it and figure out where, why, why you're doing that and where everyone's going to get the same pay cut, the hospital, the insurance company, and the doctors. If there really is a money loss, I don't think there has been a money loss, but it's a whole nother conversation. So it'd be nice for the doctors to have as loud of a voice as everyone else does in medicine. Cool. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Dr. Jafrida, thank you very much for coming on the show today and sharing with the APM Success community. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Awesome. Thank you, Justin. It was a lot of fun. We'll do, we'll do some more of these for sure. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to apmsuccess.com, where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesia and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I'd also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on APM Success.